Hi, I'm Rachel Aiello. And I'm Nick Nanos. And welcome to Trendline. Uh, well, Nick, uh, here we are again. Here I am again, working from home uh, as the third wave basically crashes into Ontario. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people are now, um, you know, not doing much of anything. Uh, and I'll be honest, I'm kind of over this, pretty exhausted. How are you doing? It's like a torture chamber, right? So how about this, Rachel? I'd like to announce that I'm going to go on vacation in my backyard. How's that? I think that's about as far as I can get while respecting the rules and knowing for certain that I could get there. So, uh, but it's just, uh, it's just frustrating because it's like day by day, week by week, the rules change. We need to do something more in order to fight the pandemic. And it's that uncertainty that's just grinding. And who would have thought that a year later, we'd still be talking about all this stuff, but I hate to say, it. I hope we're not talking, don't take this personally. I hope I'm not talking to you about this specifically a year from now, because if not, this this researcher is going to have bags under his eyes and probably frizzy hair. Yeah, I mean, uh, no offense taken. I also hope that this isn't a conversation we're having a year from now. And you're right, I definitely didn't think it would be a conversation, at least about a third wave. Um, after the first and all of the focus on flattening the curve and then, you know, promises that lessons had been learned for the second wave. And <laughs> here we are again, the upside of your backyard vacation is A, you don't need a vaccine passport for that. And B, the commute time and travel would be pretty easy, I imagine. <laughs> Thanks, Rachel. I'm sorry I so, can't pay to come over, but that would be probably violating the rules. That's okay. I'm lucky enough to have my own backyard. So I'll be there with my dogs over the next little while or uh, dog and cat. Um, okay, so that being said, I'm glad that we're able to find a bit of humor and still smile because for a lot of people, the third wave is hitting quite hard. Uh, and like we are, a lot of people are exhausted. Here's where the prime minister's at. Well, I think we're in a situation where everyone is exhausted, uh, not just you know, families, workers, small businesses, frontline workers, uh, but also leaders. Um, this has been a very, very long year. So Nick, it's clear the variants are changing the game. We've got rapid spread, people are getting sicker, and the number of infections are still outpacing the number of people we're able to vaccinate. And this was a warning we've heard from public health officials for months. I remember modeling up to February saying, you know, this is a concern, this is coming. Um, they had that advice, but to no avail, here we are. What went wrong from a public health messaging perspective? Well, it's, I think part of the challenge is, you know, so think of it this way, in any of the polling that uh, we've done or other people do, there's people put a high level of credibility in physicians, public health officials, right? And uh, they trust they trust them. The, the challenge is, is that right now what we're seeing is different approaches in different parts of the country, even different approaches in different countries. We have public health officials uh, not always agreeing with the politicians, and uh, maybe that's not bad. But the thing is, is that it creates a certain level of confusion. And I think for average Canadians, that's all they want to know is, tell me what I need to do. Let me do what I'm supposed to do. And if I do that, promise me that my life will get better. And I think the challenge is, is that it's two steps forward and two steps back. That we start clamping down and it seems that uh, we start to make some progress on, the, uh, on fighting the pandemic. And then things are loosened up a little bit and then the pandemic comes back. It's kind of that, it's like that really bad horror movie where you think the monster is dead, but it still needs another spike in its heart in order to kill it. 
and it just keeps coming back. And I think it, it makes for frustration. So I'll tell you what I'm worried about from a public opinion perspective, that at some point Canadians just say enough. You know, we've done everything that you've asked us to do and the pandemic is still continuing because of these variants. And, uh, and that it creates an increased level of cynicism and perhaps more people not being interested in potentially getting vaccinated or even in following the rules. And we have to watch out for that kind of uh, minority backlash that could, uh, could be looming out there. And so I'm wondering then if that is one of those, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and never learning from it. Canadians are still being told the same messaging. And, and while yes, still washing your hands, wearing a mask, maintaining distance is effective. And that is what people should be following. But the conversation and the messaging we're hearing from federal health officials uh, basically has sounded quite similar over the last year. Here's kind of a rehash of everything we've heard and continue to hear. Now is not the time to travel for recreational purposes. We were concerned that, for example, if different people from different provinces ended up at, at a ski resort, that uh, there are variants in those settings, that there's a potential for spread within Canada between provinces. So I think it's a very clear message that do not travel for recreational purposes outside your own uh, um, you know, locality. Um, right now, that's really important. If it is more transmissible, it just underscores the importance as we've been stressing all along. You know, uh, it's a combination of the public health measures, but also the individual practices that we've been uh, harping on uh, so many times. Uh, you know, individual uh, hygiene measures, uh, hand washing, the face mask, the physical distancing. So again, wash your hands, keep your distance. We're not out of the woods yet. Nick, is it time for a new approach? Should they be talking to Canadians in a different way about the pandemic at this point? And there has to be a new approach because there's a new there's a new coronavirus variant out there. You know, and I think for average people who are not health experts, they're just being told, oh, you know what, what we've told you to do for the last year that hasn't worked for COVID-19? Oh, we're asking you to do the same thing now for the variants. And uh, I think it's I think it's time for uh, for public health officials uh, to really put a spotlight on these new variants, to put a spotlight on the fact that healthy people are at risk, younger people are at risk, that if we were worried about the past, we should be even more worried about the future, and that we have to be virulent, and that we have to we have to be much more uh, much more proactive and much more serious in this, and we need everybody on board. We can't have people not wearing masks. We can't have people refusing vaccinations. Because the only way that we're going to get over this is if everyone wears a mask and everyone gets vaccinated. And, uh, and I think maybe it's time to amp up the messaging a little bit uh, because obviously talking nicely hasn't worked. Uh, right. So perhaps, perhaps we have to be a little uh, tougher in our messaging out there. Yeah, it, it's hard because it's, I think everyone has been adopting the measures and have kind of followed the same things for a while. But like you mentioned, the variants are a bit different and are needing to have our guards up a bit more. Uh, and, and as much as we are all exhausted and fatigued by this, um, you are noticing, I, you've got some public opinion showing that at least people's concerns about the pandemic uh, as this third wave is cresting is on the rise again. So maybe an opportunity for, for this other message to go hit home? Oh, absolutely. You know, in the, in the top national issue of concern now, we're, we're back up to 46% for the pandemic. Uh, it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride and it's been ramping up over the last number of weeks. And, you know, the thing is, is that it's the pandemic, it's the pandemic, it's the pandemic, because, you know, the, the next most important issue is about 30 points back and that's jobs in the economy. 
Um, and you know, the other thing that we haven't really, uh, no one's really talked about is how focus on the pandemic has, has basically paralyzed policy discussion on everything else. There's been no discussion about productivity and competitiveness, about international trade, about human rights. Uh, the environment has taken a backseat. So not only has the pandemic, you know, crushed, I'll say, why don't we just say it, crushed the souls of Canadians. It's been crushing policy dialogue on big issues that we need to talk about because of the urgency of trying to protect Canadian lives and to save Canadians from being at risk during the pandemic. So we're going to get into that a bit more when we talk about the upcoming federal budget and we'll dive into some of the other possible conversations that will prompt. But with this uptick in concern about the virus, and of course, we're seeing more and more lockdowns, shutdowns, stay at home, whatever you want to call it, uh, across the country, I'm wondering if it's starting to have political consequences on the governments leading the charge. Uh, you know, they've said they've learned the lessons from the first wave and the second wave, but here we are. Uh, and are Canadians recognizing that as well? Or are they starting to be a bit frustrated with the way premiers, I guess, specifically are, um, are handling this uh, third wave? Yeah, it's been, well, you know, we saw in the, in the monthly tracking on, uh, on what I'll say the report card related to the vaccinations. Uh, you know, January was a pretty dour month. February, things got a little better. And now we're back. It's kind of like the, like I said, two steps forward, two steps back. And, uh, you know, but some of the provinces are doing uh, a little, get scored a little better by their residents. At the top of the list of Quebec, you know, Quebecers score their province, I think about a 7.2 out of 10. This is compared to the provincial average of about 5.7. Atlantic Canadians are also likely to score uh, above average, but, uh, and, and British Columbians. But uh, below average uh, would be the prairies. And at the very bottom of the list, at least right now, would be Ontario. You only give the, the government of Ontario, the provincial government, a 4.9 out of 10, which uh, which is not very good by any measure. And what about Alberta, Nick? I'm wondering, you know, we've seen a few uh, provincial pandemic elections. Uh, are voters shaping up to uh, have another one in, in that province or elsewhere? Or is it still the situation where, you know, incumbent governments are going to largely be protected uh, at the polls? Well, incumbent governments have done really well, right? They've, for incumbent governments, BC, New Brunswick, Newfoundland, they who started off with a minority managed to snatch a majority in Saskatchewan. Uh, I believe they uh, not only they held on to part of government, but picked up a seat or two. Um, but that doesn't mean that's going to happen in the in the future. It just means that in the past, incumbent governments have been rewarded. You know, right now, when we look at some of the numbers, you know, the provincial numbers in Alberta and Ontario, uh, both of those premiers are not doing as well as they were a year ago or when they got elected, uh, and that there's been a bit of a souring on that front because people are just getting into a bit of an uglier mood. And uh, as a result, you know, what I'll say, it's a little more up in the air uh, when it comes to those particular provincial governments. But, you know, Legault's numbers are still good in Quebec and his, his province scores well, and uh, their numbers are still pretty good. So maybe he's the little outlier and the, the incumbents that are left. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so with this level of fatigue, everyone of course is focused on the pandemic, but. I'm wondering if it is time for premiers to take another approach and start focusing on the post-pandemic conversation. Uh, obviously, we still got to get through the next few months and get everyone vaccinated, but uh, is there an appetite for that forward-looking conversation to start happening so people can plan their lives and have some hope? Is it, you know, vaccination passports or once the spread comes down, if that's an incentive for people to stay home now, it means you can see 10 people inside at this point. It, it, 
is it um, an opportune time for them to start having those kind of, this is what our future is going to look like. Uh, we just got to hold on for our next uh, few months. Absolutely. You know, this speaks to what we talked about earlier, Rachel, and, and the messaging. You know, the, the messaging should be, uh, unless we get vaccinated and unless we beat this, you won't be going back to the way it was. And uh, here's what life can look like if a majority of Canadians get vaccinated, if we continue to respect social distancing rules and wearing masks, then, then for next Thanksgiving, hopefully you'll be able to spend it with your family. That next fall, your kids will be able to go to school and schools can be a safe place. What I'll say, a consistently, consistently safe place where they're not at risk. And I think that's where the, the messaging not only needs to change, but it needs to kind of tell people why they why we need this particular lockdown and why we need to do these measures and, and what the benefit will be, not just for them personally, but for the economy too. Right, and, and so that was a beautiful segue, excellent job uh, into the next conversation I wanted to have, which is I think where we are gonna have some of that forward looking future conversation with the federal budget that's going to be tabled on April 19th. Uh, you know, in that there's been promises for billions of dollars of stimulus spending I'm wondering if this is something that you're seeing in the numbers, Nick, Canadians are on side with kind of given the fact of where we are, we're still in the thick of this. Uh, are they open to that, you know, stimulus uh, conversation? Well, you know, the thing is, is that in, in polling that we did with CTV, when we asked Canadians about the deficit, uh, you know, having a deficit investing in Canadians or balancing the budget in order to kind of relieve tax, the tax burden, Canadians are absolutely evenly splits 46, 46. Uh, which speaks to the fact that this is uh, this is probably going to be one of the key key dividing lines. But you know, one of the things in this budget that will probably be interesting is that with the Liberals like about ten points ahead of the Conservatives, it's like they're a majority government. I don't think they're going to be afraid of an election. It's going. I think they're going to. I think I would expect that the Liberals are probably going to have what I would call a very uh, progressively muscular budget. If, you know, I don't know if we can go like this, but anyways, it'll be a muscular budget with a lot of stuff on stimulus, probably something on basic universal income, stuff on the environment, because when you're 10 points up, you can put this in the budget, and then if someone wants to trigger an election, you're going to say, oh, you want an election? Sure, we'll have an election. We'd be happy to run on this, and then to, uh, you know, fearmonger among Canadians to say that if they don't vote Liberal, that uh, they'll lose all these things that the Liberals have, have promised them. So I think there's going, to, there's going to be a very interesting dynamic, and and you know the liberals are going to probably present a budget that's going to look that's going to be like a budget that's presented by a majority government that doesn't work doesn't have any worries about being defeated or going to the polls. And I think that they've actually found this uh, politically opportune sweet spot, for better or worse, given the situation we're in. This is not the first time that they presented an update on the finances. In the middle of a wave of course you'll remember the fall economic statement came as the second wave crashed into the country and uh, that kind of changed things for them i think they were hoping to have a bit more of a forward-looking conversation in that fiscal update but of course they had to promise a bunch of new covid supports and direct immediate responses and i wonder if that's going to have to kind of shift what is in this upcoming budget to yes have that stimulus and have those more progressive looking forward plans but also noting we need to extend XYZ benefit programs. And politically speaking, that's going to make it a lot harder for the opposition parties to vote it down because they are then saying, no, we don't think we should be propping up supports for Canadians to get through this wave. So buying by having the opportunity, I think, to put both the, you know, current immediate COVID response 
uh, updates, which I think are going to be likely given the state of the pandemic right now, as well as those, you know, forward looking future daycare, child care, those kinds of things, pharmacare, all the cares. Um, they might find a sweet spot where they don't have to do that, I'd say, political brinksmanship that we are used to seeing around uh, around budget conversations. So yeah, I guess I, we'll I, see, but. No, I, I agree. It's probably going to be the way it's going to play out, but they're going to be people that, for some of the things that have been scaled back, like what I'll say, uh, people being able to defer payment on mortgages, there'll be, uh, and we're even seeing people starting, we're seeing a movement starting to clamor for banks to once again, uh, help their customers, Canadians, average Canadians, uh, get get through the uh, get through the pandemic. But the fact of the matter is, is that if if anyone had asked the government last year when this would be over, when these programs would be drawn back, everyone would have said 2021. Now we're in 2021, and there's a big question mark because we don't know how long it's going to take to fight back the pandemic. And uh, you know, I'm not sure if anybody has empathy for those civil servants at the Department of Finance. But you know, whatever modeling that they were doing on how they thought the economy was going to perform in the next 90 or 90 days or six months probably went right out the door uh, with this new strict lockdown in Ontario and Quebec as they try to figure out and project where government finances, revenue and expenses will be uh, in the fall and into 2022. Yeah, the other aspect I'm curious, you know, housing affordability and um, the housing market right now has also been a hot conversation. I think a lot of people a, are just uh, at home looking at other homes, sick of looking at their own walls. Do you think that we're going to see the Fed's kind of address the current prospect of a housing bubble in this budget? Well, you know, the thing is how housing affordability, Rachel, was important before this. You know, the cost to rent and the cost to own a home and it had been something that Canadians were concerned about. Uh, and, uh, and, and it was a priority uh, for, for the government. You know, we're seeing in our, uh, in our Bloomberg tracking, an exceptionally, I won't use the word irrational, but I might in a couple months, exuberance on the future value of real estate, where, you know, we've been tracking it every week since 2008. It's never been more positive this week than it's ever has been since 2008, when it comes to people thinking that the value of real estate will increase in their neighborhood. And I think it's like six out of every 10 Canadians think the value of real estate is going to increase and only one out of every 20 think that it's going to go down. And it's creating a herd mentality where people think that they need to pile in while interest rates are low, but it's just, uh, it's making it too hot and people are worried about a potential housing bubble right now. I think, I think the government's going to have to address this, not just from the, the a cost perspective, but for accessibility of affordable housing. Yeah. Okay. Something we'll watch for sure there. And Nick, just briefly, I wanted to pick your brain on uh, the upcoming Liberal and NDP policy convention. So both parties are meeting over this coming weekend to kind of have their party faithful, shape out the policies and priorities they want the parties to have going into the next election, uh, similar to the way the Conservatives did a few weeks back. I'm just curious what you're going to be watching for out of these two confabs. Well, all of these, I'll call them the Conservative, Liberal, New Democrat. I know they're policy conferences, but they're infomercials. Uh, at <laughs> least they'd like, the parties would like them to be infomercials to put a spotlight on all the great and wonderful things that they would do if they happened to govern. Um, I think for the conservatives, they hit a glitch with that, with that motion on the recognition of climate change, where what became an infomercial became fodder for an attack ad. And I think the flip side of that is probably going to explain or help us understand what happens with the liberal gathering and the new democratic gathering. So if the liberals do a good job for their gathering, first of all, they'll show that they're united 
and not divided on the big policy issues. Second, that they support their leader uh, because, because they're going into uh, an election. And third, to put a spotlight and probably um, make fun of the conservatives and what happened. Uh, because you know the thing is something like the environment is a critical issue in provinces like Quebec and BC, which are important to both to, to basically all of the parties, including the New Democrats. And then I think the I think the interesting one to watch will be the NDP uh, policy conference. Like, what are they going to do to sound relevant when the Liberals? Um, you know, I might get in trouble by saying this, but the the Liberals, for all intents and purposes, have stolen the NDP's breakfast, lunch, dinner the dinner plates, the cutlery, uh, and the serving dishes, right? Because they have a very, very progressive uh, agenda. So are the NDP going to move further to the left or are they going to criticize the Liberals and try to be a protest vote? I don't know. But I think I think the interesting one to watch will probably be the New Democrats to see what they do in order to try to, to be become more and more relevant to Canadians. Yeah, I'm with you there, Nick. I mean, yes, they may have taken the cutlery, the dishes, the silverware, but some of the policies in the NDP proposals, uh, I would say, would be them picking up the, uh, I, I don't even know, garbage bag, napkin, <laughs> the additional uh, accoutrements um, with a lunch that the Liberals haven't stolen. They're going even further to the left, um, abolishing billionaires, um, a couple other uh, definitely way more left-leaning suggestions. So we'll see if those get picked up or supported. In the same way, I think the liberal one is fairly straightforward. That's what you'd expect right now. They're the government. They want to just keep talking about how they would lead their way out of this, uh, including a conversation with Mark Carney. Um, I think I will be watching that probably the most closely. Um, so I'm sure we'll come back to this and see, you know, if they have a conservative climate change moment, we'll be talking about those as well. Um, but kind of to wrap things up and leave people on a somewhat more optimistic note, Nick. Uh, we're just going to call this a bright spot. It's an executive decision. It's our, <laughs> uh, what, um, I guess we've seen the US, uh, their vaccinations are increasing almost to the point of everyone's eligible. Uh, and that's provided some new opportunities for them, including a Jays game, uh, you know, full stadiums of people who are um, able to gather in ways that still in Canada only seem like a dream. I'm wondering what the what the bright spot in this is for Canadians seeing yes of course our American friends and neighbors uh, resume some level of normalcy after a really hard pandemic for them but are there other opportunities for Canada uh, in seeing the United States come out of this in a strong way well first of all we have to say that America has had a had had a rough time with the pandemic it's been no easy thing for them when you look at their mortality rate and things that have happened I can say that one thing they have done right and better than many other countries is vaccinations. You know, my, my understanding is, is that they've, they've vaccinated more than 100 million people and, and President Biden this week has basically said that by this month he wants everybody that wants to, to be able to get vaccinated. And, you know, what we're seeing is, uh, is a normalization. You know, we're seeing the baseball game with not just players, fans. Fans, more than fans that are socially distanced. And, you, you know, who knows uh, whether this will be good or bad. But I think the bright spot in all of this is that uh, what we're learning is that with more vaccinations, that there's a possibility for normalization. But there was, there was one, there's one stat that I'd like to kind of repeat on this is that, you know, the top public health officials in Canada and the United States have said, once you get vaccinated, you're not immune immediately. It takes another two weeks. So if you get your shot, still be play it safe for two weeks because the immunity doesn't kick in. So 
I think the good news is, is with more vaccinations, we can expect to see uh, better news and more, uh, more freedom of movement like we're seeing in the, in the United States and actually in Australia and New Zealand. But until uh, we get there, it'll be a little, uh, it'll be thin gruel, Rachel, thin gruel in our personal lives until we hit that herd immunity. Right, and hit that home run, I guess, as we'd say. We're probably approaching second base now if we want to really torture that metaphor. But um, Nick, okay, so I think we've kind of covered the gambit of things without, you know, um, continuing to talk about COVID even, even more. Um, so if anyone wants to kind of read up more on what you've chatted about today, where can they find you? Go to the Nanos website for all those stats, www.nanos.co, or follow me on Twitter at Nick, N-I-K, Nanos. And you can follow me on Twitter at Rach Aiello. You can find Trendline on ctvnews.ca, the CTV News YouTube page, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening.